Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be back. It's great to be here. It's great to hear Kip. Um, Kip is living proof that the age of miracles is not over. Not only did he survive my classes at Bend High, but he's getting married. In a moment of weakness, he found a wonderful gal to say yes. And so uh, congratulations in advance for next Saturday. And uh, keep Kip and his new bride in your prayers. Uh, it's great to see Antioch grow. Uh, Claudia and I and our daughters have been, been at First Baptist for... Um, since the 87, and to see Antioch spin off from First B and then thrive and outgrow this facility is is really an exciting thing for us. It's almost like a, a proud parent seeing the child go and go farther than, than uh, stand on your own shoulders and go farther than you could even imagine going. And, and the transition from here, as you've outgrown the theaters and going from here to Summit High School is a new venture, a new chapter. And and any time that there's a, a new chapter, there's also the trauma of transition. And some people fall off and don't like it, don't get it, um, and yet it's a new chapter. And I would encourage you all to approach it in that way. Um, now that I'm at Summit, it's a new chapter for me. And now that I'm at Summit, it's an exciting thing for us to consider having to use our space in a new and creative way to bring light in the building um, and it's going to be a feeling out process in January and February, I'm sure, on both sides to figure out how we can fit what you need into, into the structure at Summit High School. But you need to know that we're, we're thrilled about having you come. Um, back in the last century, when I was in college, 147 years ago, I spent a summer in the mid-70s in Europe, like a lot of kids will do, and I spent a summer there... Uh, playing rugby with a group of guys, and we were in mostly in England and South Wales, and and we we had, uh, managed to get our tails kicked about all the way through the Great Britain, and uh, playing rugby, and and we took a lot of side trips, went into coal mines, went into cities, and one of the places we went to was Greenwich, England, and Greenwich is that place, and Graham, there you go, Greenwich is that place where the where the prime meridian. It, it, where that artificial and somewhat arbitrary line of the prime meridian is marked. And, and just like the four corners of the U.S. where people will come and, and put their... How many of you have been to the four corners? Arizona? No, it's New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Arizona. And how many of you have taken the picture with a foot and a hand in each corner? Has anybody done that? Come on. Really? I'm the only one? Oh, you have been. And, um, and it's an arbitrary place. And the arbitrary line of of the prime meridian, like this couple here. We took our picture there, but I couldn't find it. And, uh, and so people will straddle this line that divides east from west in the world. And it's political. It was done during the time when England ruled the world, so they thought everything divided by, by them. It's arbitrary, but, but it's a necessary line that divides the eastern hemisphere from the western hemisphere, and without it, we really would not know or have a way to measure how far we've traveled, how far we've gone, or how far we yet to have to go. And, and in the same way, an artificial and arbitrary line is what we're facing today. Every year, New Year's, is, is that time of year where there's a there, we, we mark our calendar with, with an arbitrary line that says, the year is ended, the new year has begun. 
But in reality, tomorrow night at midnight is no different than last night at midnight, other than the fact that we say it has significance. But just like the prime meridian that gives us a ch chance to dictate or, or to measure how far we've traveled one way or the other, a day like today is a great time for us to turn down the noise in our life for just a little bit and to assess how far we've traveled. Most people think of New Year's in terms of looking ahead, New Year's resolutions. I will lose weight. I will exercise more. I will read more books. It's, it's not a bad idea, though, to take a look over the shoulder of your journey and, and look back at your journey to see how far I've traveled and if I've made the progress in the right direction that I've gone. One of my favorite authors of all time is Eugene Peterson, and he has a book that's worth the price of the title alone, and it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it's a, it's a wonderful book talking about the nature of discipling, the nature of being a follower of Jesus in this God quest of just plodding along in a prescribed direction and being obedient over the long haul. So this morning what I'd like to do, the, the minutes we have together, I'd really like to invest the time for us to look at three questions from one passage of Scripture from the Older Testament where David, in a song, David, uh, in the beginning of the song, um, he, he has three couplets, and there's three questions embedded in there that I want to challenge you to think about at the end of this year. Um, this Psalm 16 has haunted me, it's not haunted me, but it's, but it's been churning over in my mind since I came across it afresh this summer. Sometimes reading out of a different version of the scriptures gives you a new insight, and, and I was reading out of a different a different translation, and I came across this. So, Graham, if we can go to that. And, and this is, um, I'm not even sure anymore what, what the version is, but I've, I've just churned this over in my mind. So look along with me as I read. It says, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I've said to the Lord, You're my Lord, and apart from you I have no good thing. Verse 3. As for the saints who are in the land, they're glorious ones. They're the glorious ones in whom are is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods, and I will not pour out their libations of blood or take their names upon my lips. Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now, embedded in those three couplets, I think, are three questions that are worthy of your time at the end of this year. So we're going to wrap our brains around that this morning after we pray. Father God, uh, we do face an arbitrary deadline of 2007 ending. And yet it gives us great time for us to stop and consider where we stand and where we've traveled and the choices we've made. And Lord, I pray that this morning uh, I would not get in the way of what the Spirit intends to do, but that... Uh, the eyes of the folks here, the eyes of their heart would be open to see what you would have them to be and to do for good and for God in this place. Lord, I pray that we would be uh, challenged by your word to live more effectively for you. And we all say? Amen. Amen. Good. Grandma's first, that first couplet. So he starts off and he says, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you're my Lord. Apart from 
you, I have no good thing. I think embedded in here is the question, is this question, is this question, there it is, for you, what have I relied on in the past year for my security, my strength, and my direction? What's been the tie-down for me? Face it, men and women, you and I live in a dangerous world. It, this is a dangerous place. Just um, internationally, this last Thursday, Kelsey, our younger daughter, we had a dad-daughter trip. We went down to the Bay Area, and Thursday we were traveling. We went down to see the mother of all universities, Oregon State, bless her holy name, take on uh, University of Maryland in the Emerald Bowl. And uh, we, tra we were traveling down, and all the way down, as we were traveling on Thursday, the only thing on the radio was about the assassination of, um, of Bhutto, uh, um, Benazir Bhutto. And, and um, the way that that key nation now is made all the more unstable. We live in a troubled world, internationally as well as personally, when relationships crumble or relationships don't happen, when money issues are there, when health fails, when people disappoint, when our future seems confusing. There's all kinds of outside threats that you and I face on a normal basis that would drive us to say, I need a refuge. But we also have threats that are inside, kind of in, internal deceits. Sometimes we are overconfident. I can handle this. Sometimes we're driven by fear. What if this happens? What if that happens? And the world becomes dangerous. Sometimes we are deceived even by ourselves because we don't want to lose face. And the tendency for us is so often to live by our wits or to live by our experience or to figure it out on our own because we don't want to bother God with something so small as my blank. God has... Pakistan to worry about. How could he be worried about my health, finances, relationships, future, class, test? We fool ourselves into believing that we can handle it on our own. What David says is, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. And what he's basically saying is that you and I weren't built that way. One of the things that you know, because we sing it, we say it, we, we affirm it, but we don't often live it, is that you and I were built to be in a dependent relationship with God. A dependent relationship with God. We're, we're there for security. In you I take refuge. This time of year, a bunch of friends of mine who I've taught with and coached with over the years, they always make the annual Christmas trip down to Summer Lake to go slaughter the geese and the ducks and and uh, it's really just an excuse for a hairy man weekend. And they go out there, and, and we go out there, have gone out there, and you, and you, you hunt around um, Summer Lake. And there's a refuge at Summer Lake, and then there's all this common property with lakes and rivers and that type of stuff. And uh, it, it, the, the chase is to try to get the ducks and geese as they transit from the feeding grounds into the refuge. Because you can't hunt in the refuge. He says, Lord, keep me safe, O oh God, because in you I take refuge. It's like playing tag and you touch the place and, and what you used to say, Ollie, no, I used to say, uh, yeah, oh gosh, Ollie Oxenfree, no, that's when you're free, but you had a, anyway, I forget, 
Uh, I'm getting old. But the idea is that we're built for security in God. Keep me safe. Preserve me. Life at times can be so insecure. And when we are driven by those internal deceits that we can handle it on ourselves, we're like the guy standing up in a, in a canoe in a fairly swift-moving river. Just sit down. You'll be fine. But we stand up thinking that we can handle it and we're in this unstable kind of position. And he says, God says to us, sit down. And David reminds us, you're my refuge. One verse that you should tattoo on the inside of your eyelids because we're afraid so often is Proverbs 18.10. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous, runs run, the righteous ones run into it and they are safe. It's nice to be safe. It's in a good position to know that you can sleep the sleep of security. Uh, it's not a matter of weakness at that point. It's a matter of strength. I had a friend who was out at Three Creeks Lake this summer, and he was out there with his kids, and he, he noticed a, uh, an osprey hunting up above getting fish and this and that. And, and then there was a, a mama duck and a bunch of little ducklings. And they were kind of skirting around the edges and all the rest. And the osprey came down and was swooping down to try to get the, the ducklings. And the, the ducklings would scramble as fast as they could, almost dancing on the water, to get underneath the wings and underneath the cover of the mom. And that's the picture here. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. We're not built to handle this by ourselves. In this dangerous world, you and I are called to find refuge in God. But then there's another part to it. He said, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you, I have no good thing. Let's take the last first. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I have demonstrated over and over and over in my life, when I try to handle it, I come up short. Now, God has given me a brain, he's given me spiritual gifts, he's given me a way to figure stuff out. But there are some things when he says, you're not built to handle this. In me, there's not enough good to make it work. I said to the Lord, that's the, that's the kind of the, the assertion of superiority. You are my Lord. That's the assertion of lordship. I, I choose to put myself underneath you. You're the boss. You're the one who has, who has been my dependable guide and teacher and mentor and Lord. And Lordship's a choice. All the way through these three couplets, we're going to see choice is a key part. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. There's no good thing in me. There's not enough good in me. So this first couplet, this first question talks about a relationship with God. And what I would challenge you at the end of this year is for you just to kind of think, where do I stand? Where do I stand? What have I done in terms of, what have I relied on for my security, my strength, and my direction? Do I need to fine-tune that and to commit myself this year to say, I'm going to follow the Lord of hosts and not my own wits? He goes on from there. Graham, let's hit the next couplet. He goes on the next two verses and he says, as for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I'll not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. This next question is, 
is our horizontal, our relationship to one another. Who've been, who've been my fellow travelers? Who are my traveling companions? And where am I going? You remember well your mother or your grandmother saying, that's not a good boy to hang around with. That's not a good friend to have. Or choose your friends wisely because they are going to take you in a direction. The principle is true. You and I become like the marinade we immerse ourselves in. There is no such thing as a neutral, close friendship. Been in schools now for 17 years. Second career for me has been in schools now for 17 years. First year as an administrator out of the classroom. And I can tell you in all those different venues, at the middle level, at Cascade and High Desert, at the high school at Bend High, and now at Summit High School, I can see over and over and over again that people become like their friends. And all adults are, are tall children. We act the same way. We just become better at it. And, and of course there's concentric circles of influence. We have our intimate friends, and then close personal friends, and then friends, and then acquaintances, and then just the people we know. But the closer we get in toward that center, the more influence it's going to have in how we behave, in who we are, in the direction we go, and the distance we travel. So I don't care if you're in middle school or you're in senior age. It, it, the principle remains the same, that there's no neutral close friendships. And, and they take us to a destination. I tell kids all the time who come into my office, and I'm the vice principal, and they come into my office for specific reasons. They've screwed up somewhere. Or they have a problem. They've got a knot in the rope that we, they, he want, they want me to untie. And almost always it's tied to relationships. And I do this. These friendships are going to take you one direction or the other. And it's a matter of choice. They don't get it. I don't get it. I know that I'm better around some people than others. And yet I may be attracted to these people who are taking me in a different direction. But what David says is, for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is my delight. He's making a choice. He says, you know, the people who are chasing after God, the people who really have this, this sense that, that they're after something eternal, those are the ones who are my delight. And they're the saints who are in the land. The way to translate that phrase, in the land, is they're in the same boat as you and I. We're in the same exact place. I have three or four friends who I talk to almost on a daily basis who I know will keep me honest, who will tell me the truth. Proverbs, here's another verse you need to have. Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There are guys who, who sharpen me and it's like a stone on steel and there's friction and there's sparks and we will fight with each other and we will fight with each other back-to-back back and face-to-face, face, and yet we are sharpening one another to be more like Jesus, because that's the goal, to move in that direction. I challenge you this morning to look over the landscape of your life and to find people who are, who are going to make you more like God, who are in the land, in the same boat, not somebody who's on an island who's got it all put together, but someone who is right in the same spot, who is chasing after God, full of flaws like you, 
who really wants to go in that same direction and hook with them. Find somebody who's an encourager. Encouragement is transformational. You have seen, I have seen people literally be transformed in front of you, in front of your eyes, who, who get genuine praise and encouragement. It's like a golf caddy. You know, you, you don't want to, can you imagine a pro golfer out there and having a caddy who is basically a downer? Oh, God, you're going to pull out the three wood? Holy cow, you're never going to make it in that. There is not a chance, not a chance you're going to make it. Ah, God, you missed that putt? Think how much money that cost me. No, a pro golfer is going to get a caddy who is, who's upbeat, who is motivational, who is keeping the golfer on task, keeping him on point. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Sometimes you need that friend who will tell you the truth. You have really gone astray. That thing you said, that action you did, that choice you made, was so far away from what you and I have decided we want to do that I don't even recognize you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. My delight is in the saints who are in the land with me. They're in the same spot because they're the glorious ones. We're chasing after something so much bigger than ourselves. The sorrows of those who will increase who run after other gods. That's self-talk reminder. Self-talk. I know if I hook up with this person, as fun as it is at the moment, I know that the way is away from where I want to go. I know it's hidden away. I'm going to become less rather than more as a result of this relationship. So I will not pour out their libations of blood and take up their names upon my lips. That's a choice. I'm going to choose that. Now, I tell kids... In the classroom and in my office, I tell kids there's two ways to change friends. One is sometimes you just need to have the bloody cut. And you've experienced that. Sometimes you just need to have the bloody cut. We're done. I'm done. More often, it's like a boat tied up at a dock. And you just untie the rope. And the boat just kind of drifts away. You don't have time to get together. They call, no, I'm sorry, I'm busy. You're just unavailable, and you drift and you have distance. Those of us with some years on, our, on us know that. It just happens. Friendships fade, and you change friend groups. Sometimes it calls for the bloody cut, but it's always a matter of choice. I will not pour out. Another verse that's worth knowing is 1 Corinthians 15.33. This is one that you can tell your kids and kind of kind of smirk and say, it's not just me, it's God. Don't be deceived. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Don't be deceived. Bad company always corrupts good morals. Proverbial. Don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself. You can't missionary date. It doesn't work. Bad company always corrupts good morals, no matter how much you try. So the first question is our relationship with God. How, how am I doing in terms of security, what I'm relying on, the distance I've traveled in terms of that? The second has to do with my relationship with one another. Who've been my fellow travelers? 
And what progress have I made? Are there things that I need to take into account this day at the end of this year for next year? Third couplet is like this. Right? He said, Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup, and you've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You think, what in the world is he talking there? Well, he's talking simply about this. How have I done with my assignment? How have I done with my assignment? This, when he talks about inheritance and my portion and my cup and the lot lines and all the rest, he's talking about, especially in terms of inheritance, he's talking about here and there. The there part is our ultimate inheritance. Men and women, we are in this thing not only for today, but for tomorrow, for heaven. If you've never, if you haven't yet had the chance to read Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, and you think heaven is just out there, it's kind of vague, I'm going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp, put it on your list for the first quarter of 2008. It's a great book that crystallized my thinking to see that it truly is an inheritance for us. It truly is going to be a glorious place that God is preparing us today. Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. And it talks about our inheritance. We sing, those of you who have been around churches for a while, that great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and it says, Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine and 10,000 besides. That, that sense of tomorrow with big T. The ultimate tomorrow is heaven. But the here is all about my assignment. The here is all about influence. You and I are living our lives. Your students, your workers, you're retired, you're in between, you're single, you're divorced, you're in a big arena, in a small arena, you're a barista, or you're a school teacher, or you're whatever you are. And that's your place. That's where you find yourself. And sometimes we say, I'm just kind of walking in place, marking time, until that time when I can be really usable for God. I believe that this passage and other ones like them talk about God saying that you have a ministry exactly where you are. And you are responsible for your assignment in that place. And that changes the way we, we look at our place. It gives where we are design and intent and purpose. And it, and it, elevates, it elevates the importance of what we're doing. God assigned me here. For the longest time, I thought my assignment was forever until I was done with school. My assignment was going to be in room B18 at the end of B Hall in Bend High School. It's teaching social studies. And along came a series of events last year, and I found myself with a different assignment. And I'm in a different job at a different school. I'm not coaching. I'm not in the classroom. I'm in a whole different role and I find myself with a new assignment. The learning curve is steep. People ask me, are you having fun yet? Not yet. <laughs> Someday. Not yet, because there's so much to learn. And yet it is so clear that God has said, I've got a new assignment for you. And it's at a different place with a different group of people. And it's that place to, to prosper. The boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. The boundary lines. Some of our boundary lines, you may say, but God, I want big boundaries and, and I'm in this tiny little place. That's exactly where God would have you to be today. 
to be faithful, to do your assignment, to do good and to be God in that arena. Most people have a tendency to want to wait until I'm done with school, married, my kids are grown, whatever it is. And then I'll do ministry. You're doing ministry all the time. You're doing ministry every time that you are any place because you carry the aroma of Christ. A great example of this is what one of the young gals from Antioch Church has done at, at uh, Summit High School with the ransomware. Lindsey Brown has sold ransomware over the Christmas before Christmas, and we raised over $2,000. She sold that much product, and $2,000 is the magic number where you're able to ransom another woman out of the sex slave trade in, in India and Nepalese women. And Lindsey Brown has said, that's my arena. That's my place. I'm going to... I'm going to be light and be God and be good in this place. And that's my boundary lines. This is a relationship for you to purpose. And I've got to tell you what, men and women, if you get this perspective, when I hold tight to this perspective and when you grab a hold of this perspective that I am where I am by the design, at least in part, of God. Of course, it's my choices and my preparation. But at least in part, this is the design of God. That adds fizz to the coke of life. You are no longer just going to work, going to school, going to your place, living in your neighborhood. Now you are the person of God there with a design, with an intent. That is magical because all of a sudden you're not just living life, you're making a difference. Don't wait. For things to be right. Sometimes our assignment looks too small. Sometimes we, we have great dreams. Great! Have those dreams. But in the meantime, don't wait. Francis Schaeffer in the 70s wrote a wonderful book about ministry and this kind of idea. And again, the title is worth the price of the book. It's called No Little People, No Little Places. There are no little people. They're just people of God. There are no little places. There's just ministry opportunities. <coughs> David gets that. He says, the boundary lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And you know what the reality is? Some of your boundary lines, some of the lot lines in your assignment look overgrown and, and kind of shabby. and kind of. Well, it's a chance to be a gardener. It's a chance to make it better. Who knows where your assignment will be? Who knows what's going to come along? For years, Kip and I traveled along with, uh, we traveled every spring break. Part of the assignment that we were given out of our heart was to go every spring break down to El Florido and Tijuana and go and go and build houses with the more ministries. And Kip and I traveled, six, you went six, seven times? I went ten. Ten times. Who the dude? The ten. He went ten times and, and, and so did I. And we traveled multiple times down there. And it, and it grabbed our heart. And God said, okay, here's your assignment. And then we're just going to kind of add this at spring break because it's just a good thing to do. And today, families are living in homes that we built 15 years ago. The third question is, how are you doing with your assignment? Now, the end of the year is arbitrary. But it gives us a great time. The end of the year, why don't you go to the next one, Grant? The end of the year is arbitrary. 
You know, and as the year winds down, I want to challenge you from this, these passages, these verses in, in Psalm 16, to take some time. The name of the game is progress, not perfection. The name of the game is being better this year than you were last year. And if you're not, then you intend to be better next year than you were this year. But to challenge yourself with these three questions, the question of lordship, do I really see him as my Lord, as my security? Do I follow his direction when he says, this is, this is right and this is wrong? That's a choice that you and I, as we grow, need to make. The question of influence. Who, who's influencing me? Where are the voices in my mind, in my heart, that are, that are molding my character? Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals every time. But as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. The question of ministry. You're not waiting. How are you doing with your assignment? What changes do you need to make along the way? Challenging questions for me. I mean, I've been thinking about them all week as we were driving back and forth. And I mentioned the Beavers one. That, that we were driving back and forth. And, and um and, and even the song, we sing songs so often in church and we, we like the melody and we sing the words and, and as we were singing this morning, the words caught me again. We delight in you, we sang. We turn from our old ways. We delight in you. Why? Because it's better for us. And we turn from our old ways. And then we sang, you are our God. You are our Lord. Lordship. If we put ourselves underneath, we have to do what the Master says for us to do. Three good questions to end the year, to chart a course for next year, so that when we're here next year at this arbitrary line, we can say we've made progress, and we can judge that. <coughs> Pray with me, would you? Father God, it's good to know that you more than us, you more than any, would have us be prosperous in ministry and prosperous in our lives with you. Father God, I pray that um, every one of us in the room would be challenged by the words from David. I pray that we would uh, search our hearts to see if we're seeking our security and our direction from you or just from ourselves. Lord, I, if that's the case, if we're relying on ourselves, Father, um, I pray the Spirit would prompt us to change and to look for you for our security and our direction. And Father, I pray that we would evaluate our friendships to know who's speaking into our lives and what direction we're drifting and traveling. If we need to make changes in friend groups, Lord, give us the courage to do that because it's always frightful. As a student and even as a, as a mature adult, it's, it's a challenging thing. And then Father, I pray that you would open our eyes so that you, could, you would show us the vast amount of ministry that's all around us that we don't have to go anywhere to do. And I pray that we would see it and see the people in front of us as valuable in your eyes and so that we could do good and, and be that God person in their lives in this place. Lord, we love you. We look forward to 2008 in an uncertain world. We know that we have a certain God. And we all say, Amen. Amen.